Okay, because this morning's message is for you, okay? We need this. I'm looking forward to it. Anytime the Word of God is open, the Lord speaks. And so if there's ever a time that we don't get something, it's not a problem with this book. It's a problem with our heart. And so he's going to come in just a moment. He's going to preach to us. Uh, before he does, let's do this. Let's have all the young people. They can be dismissed to their class, and so they can make their way that direction. And Brother Dwight, you come and you preach to us this morning. Thank you so much, Pastor. Take your Bible, if you wouldn't, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Would you? Hebrews chapter 9 in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 9 in the Scripture. And I'm just so thankful to be able to be back this morning. And I'm thankful that you're here. And we've just had a wonderful week together. uh, I'm just so grateful to the Lord. This morning, I texted Brother Tracy Jones, and I just thanked him for... His faithfulness and honoring the Lord and coming out here out west and starting this church. Tracy and I, I don't know if you knew this, but we graduated together. Now, we're the same age, but, but it looks like he's way older. That's because of a life of sin. Anyway, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm teasing. But, uh, oh, Brother Tracy's a blessing. And, and, you know, we graduated together from college. And I'll tell you, I thank God for his influence and his godly, godly character and his faithfulness to the Lord. And I just was... So grateful to the Lord. And I just wrote him a little note this morning and thanked him for coming out here to Whitehall and starting this church. And he told me many years ago that when he came driving down 90, this is 90, right? Out here, he came driving down 90 in, in, in the night. God said, this is where I want you to be. And uh, I just thank the Lord for that and for the many years that Brother Terman pastored. And then Brother Gilstrap, he and Tress are such a blessing to be around and such an encouragement. We thank the Lord for it. And I thank you for being faithful and honoring and getting around God's man. You know, a pastor uh, needs his people and God's people need their pastor. And, you know, that's never more accentuated when one is without the other. And so let me encourage you just to continue to rally around Pastor Kyle and Miss Tressa. Thank you so much for the way that you've hosted us this week and for the way that you've cared for us. And, and uh, just really, we've just appreciated your warmth and encouragement in so many ways. I want to thank you for being faithful through the week. Those of you that have been able to come throughout the week, thank you. And those of you that are guests this morning, thank you so much for being here. And we're looking forward to what God's going to do. Let's just pause for a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word, shall we? Father, thank you for the privilege of being in the Word of God this morning. Thank you for a place like Whitehall Baptist Church where the people in this church and the people in the community know This is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be worshipped. And this is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be exalted. Words of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be preached. And Lord, I pray that as the word is opened this morning and as the Spirit of God goes forward, that our hearts would be tender and they would be yielded and open to you. Now, Lord, bind Satan. May he have no power in this place whatsoever. I pray that he'd have no influence at all in our thinking. And we'll thank you for what you do and for the way that you work this morning because we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen. Amen. I brought a tool this morning. I bought this on the Lodge Grass over in Lodge Grass, Montana on the Crow Indian Reservation. Uh, It's a powerful tool not only to measure stuff around the house when you're trying to uh, accomplish certain tasks and trying to build certain things and maybe hang uh, pictures or whatever the case may be, but it's also a great teaching tool. You can learn a lot from a tape measure. And so I want to learn a little bit from a tape measure this morning. You know, a tape measure is a lot like life. And uh, when you first start out, you're kind of not realizing exactly what's going on. 
and uh, you're just all taking in the sights and the sounds and the smells and the joys of life, you know, in the early stages. And uh, it's exciting and your family is around you. And, and uh, after a while, you get into your twos. And uh, some people call them the terrible twos. I call them the terrific twos. And uh, they're, they're, they can have some great ups and great downs. And uh, you learn your words, you know, in your twos and your threes, and you've already learned to to walk somewhere around in here, and it's a pretty exciting stage of life. And uh, then you get into your threes and fours, and there's still the wonder of it all, and and, and, uh, you're saying a lot of crazy cute things, and people around you are laughing and sometimes writing down those crazy things. And uh, then in four and five, you get to join up with a wonderful thing we call school. And it's an instrument of torment created by some teacher long ago to torment kids for 18 years of their life. Or maybe not 18, but, but at least 13. And so you start right around four or five, give or take. It's a pretty exciting time of life. And then you're six and seven, you start playing maybe some basic sports if you get a chance to, or around here, maybe uh, having your own horse. I don't know. Do they give horses around six or seven or eight? Is that, is that when they do it around here? Okay, I don't, I don't know about those things. But uh, then seven or eight or nine, you start to really develop and blossom, and you're starting to really grow. And it's just, you know, this tape measure is a lot like life. And uh, you start to excite, you have some exciting times. When you get into this stage, you're about 13 or 14, there's this massive infusion of incredible smarts in your head. You become smarter than everybody else around you, right around here. It's hard to even get around you because your head's so big, you just are so smart, so intelligent, can't even get through the door straight ways, you got to move sideways. And it's just an exciting time. And 17, 18, you start to recognize, you start to recognize uh, somebody the opposite gender. You start that right around here, and you say before they were just kind of yuck and ugly, and they had cooties and germs, and boy, right here, that all just fades away. I mean, blows away in a western wind. And uh, then 18, 19, you start to realize, wait, I'm going to have to be an adult real soon. And uh, this thing is going to get real, real fast. Isn't that right? And uh, right along here, you start to realize, wait a second, maybe I wasn't as smart back when I was 14 and 15 as I thought I was. And, uh, and, and wait, maybe my mom and dad were a little bit smarter than, than actually I gave them credit for. And uh, you, you're in college, you're getting your career done. Maybe you've already gotten some of that taken care of and, and, and you're starting your career and, and starting adulthood. And maybe even married right around here. It's a good time. You know, people get married. Sometimes they get married back here. If you're from West Virginia, they get married here. Anyway, uh, but uh, boy, it's exciting. This is an exciting time of life, you know. And, uh, and you start having kids when you're early 20s, mid-20s, and, and that's a whole new revelation. And then you have a whole deeper appreciation for your parents and all they did in life. And uh, you get along about 27, 28, things are clicking along, and maybe you've got a new house now, maybe, or your own house anyway, new to you. And in your 30s, and, and uh, you start to, you, in your 30s, you start to realize that somewhere along the line in the future, you're going to have to go on a diet. I guess you got married right here. And, uh, boy, all that good home cooking really kind of started to take its toll. And the diet is looming in the future, large in the future. And, uh, and in your 30s and you're 38, and, boy, you're into your career. You're accomplishing a great deal. You're, you're clicking along in life. Your kids are growing. And, and uh, they're becoming teenagers right along here. And, and in your 40s, you really start to evaluate. Boy, your 40s. <laughs> wow, what a
what an exciting time. And things can just kind of do like that, fall apart. <laughs> and, uh, and in your 40s, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you better get on that diet real quick and change some of your habits, especially if they've been a little bit unhealthy in these stages. But uh, then in your 50s, this is a wonderful and exciting time because you're seeing the excitement of retirement. Let, you're at least seeing it. You know, you're not that you're there yet. Maybe you're there yet, but, but you're at least seeing it. And in your 50s, uh, you get to start taking pills. And that's just fun because there's all kinds of uh, exciting things that can happen with it. And uh, in your 60s, in your 60s, you're getting close to or right, right at retirement and you get a cheaper coffee at McDonald's. So that's pretty good. And uh, then in your 70s, you start to feel aches and pains because you didn't go on a diet earlier in your 30s. And uh, now in your 70s, they give you a cane. And uh, that's exciting because you, you, you have a weapon that you don't have to carry secretly and carry a license for. There's just all kinds of things that happen. Now, the Bible says this in the book of Psalms, that God may give us three score and ten. That's right there. Three score and ten. But he doesn't guarantee that. And in that same passage that he tells us that he may give us three score and ten, he tells us this. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, there's some lessons that I can learn from a tape measure, and I just want to give you those quickly this morning before we get into our text and see some of the application. One is this, that a tape measure measures accurately. The way that they make the tape measure, where they make the tape measure, they can't fudge They can't say, well, you know, a half inch, three quarters of an inch, three eighths, five eighths, seven sixteenths. You know, what difference does it make? They can't do that. No, they're going to measure accurately. And God is measuring my life accurately. The world may not measure accurately. It may measure me less or more. But God measures my life accurately. And someday I'm going to meet him. Uh, A tape measure has numbers on it. And so does my life. And it has years. Now, right now, I'm right here. 47. I've got three years left before I'm 50. Wow. In fact, less than that, because I'm about to turn 48. So I'm actually right about here. A tape measure has numbers on it that mark certain measurements. And I have numbers in my life. Every day that passes, I'm going to be held accountable for. Every moment. I've been given just a minute, only 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. I must suffer. If I lose it, give account. If I abuse it, just a tiny little minute. But all eternity is in it. And I either live my minute for eternity, or I live it for the moment. I either live my minute for the Lord and for others, or I live it for me. So there's numbers on this tape measure that mark certain measurements, and there are numbers in my life that pass by, and they pass ever so quickly. Now, if I were to move this tape measure as, my, as actually measuring my life, the tape measure would move very, very slowly, almost imperceptibly to those watching. And sometimes we take for granted the fact that my life is moving, quickly passing by, even though it seems to be drudging along. You know what else I learn about it with the tape measure? It has a spring in it. 
And someday my life's going to come to a close. And I want to draw our attention to a passage that addresses that very thing. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. The Bible says, And as, is, as it is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I'm preaching this morning on, on truths from a tape measure. And I want us to see these truths not only just from the tape measure, but in light of God's word. We believe in Bible preaching. That means we get our truths from the Bible and from the word of God. And while I can glean the truth from a tape measure that it has numbers on it that represent certain measurements, that it measures accurately, and that it has a spring that calls all of those numbers back in at one point, I want us to glean our truths mainly from the word of God. Now he says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. I want you to know Notice, first of all, there is a real certainty in this passage. Again, verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men, once to die, and after this, but after this, the judgment. It is talking about a certain moment. There is a certain moment when God, watch closely, has appointed your life to end. And there is little that you can do. There is... That you can do to try to avoid that. You can try to avoid death. Certainly, it's amazing any of us made it through our teenage years. Uh, but, but certainly, uh, I'm praying that my boys will make it through their teenage years without dying. Uh, it's amazing that, that any of us made it through certain experiences in life. But when your appointed time comes, there is nothing you can do about it. Now, think of that. Because there are a lot of industries in this world that thrive and survive around death. Take death away and you destroy industry in our world. Think of it. Uh, We have a lot of industry that is invented to make us not look like we're dying. And so they, they have uh, cream that we can rub. Uh, they have shots that we can inject. They have pills that we can take. They have uh, uh, vitamins. They have uh, a diet that we can go on to make us look like we're not dying. There is another industry that makes us smell like we're not dying. <laughs> we, we have a lot of ways that we try to look like and smell like we're not dying. But did you know that the moment you were born, because of the curse of sin, you were born headed towards death? And that three score and ten, 60 plus 10, that, that three score and 10 is, is just a, a, a vague measurement. Now, my dad is 87. He's about to turn 88 next month. My mom is 88. And so they've outlived their three score and 10 almost by, by two decades. And I'm very thankful for, for the days that God has given my mom and dad on this earth. But they've, they've lived way past what God said men might live to be. Now, some generations live longer. Some, some cultures live longer. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that when your time to die comes, there is nothing you will be able to do to avoid it. Nothing. 
Nothing. You may die of a heart attack. You may die of a disease like cancer. You may die of natural causes. There may be no inexplicable reason for your death, but you are going to die. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm not trying to be someone that's troubling your mind and your heart this morning, but I am trying to give you some preparation time. And I am trying to give you some reality that you someday are going to die. It is a certainty of death. Now, let's just delve into this matter of death and why it exists. Does anybody know? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, it says sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In Romans 5.12, it says, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they opened Pandora's box and out came much more than they bargained for. And one of the things that came was death. The major thing that came was death. God said to Adam and Eve that you can eat of every tree of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now stop for a moment and think about that and what that means. When they ate of the tree, they didn't drop over dead. So either God's word is true or we don't understand it exactly. They didn't drop over dead when God came in the garden and said, Adam, where art thou? They didn't drop over dead when God banished them from the garden. They didn't drop over dead in childbearing when Eve bore Cain or Abel. Well, what does it mean then? In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Physically, they were still alive. Their body did not die. With their soul, it was still alive. Their awareness of what was going on around them, their instincts, their emotion, their their, their understanding of, of people around them. But what did die? Their spirit. That one thing that was created with God-likeness, their spirit died. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And that is what immediately God implemented a plan of redemption for, so that their spirit could be saved. Now, someday their body would die. Someday their soul, their soul as as their, their awareness physically of what's going on around them on this earth would pass away. But watch, their spirit is that God-shaped part of man in you that can only be filled by God. It cannot be filled by religion. It cannot be filled by church attendance or morality. It cannot be filled by reform or changing your bad habits to good habits. It cannot be filled by relationships that you may have, good relationships, wholesome relationships as they be. It cannot be filled by wealth or by riches or by accomplishment or success. That God-shaped part of you can only be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want you to see, first of all, there is a certainty of death. There is a real certainty. And the Bible says in the book of James chapter 1, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So the reason that there is death in this world and the reason there is an appointment that someday you're going to meet, someday you're going to have, it may be sooner than you expected. It may be later than you expected. I just was in Great Falls, Montana this last week or week and a half ago. And uh, there was a man there named uh, Robbie Robinson. And Robbie is in his 70s or so, and, and he ha- had served two terms in Vietnam in special forces. A term in Iraq, a term in Kosovo, 
He'd served duties, a tour in Kosovo and, and Iraq. Four of those tours, then he had served in the U.S. Embassy in China and the U.S. Embassy in Russia, and both places were attacked when he was serving there. I could say safely that, that Robbie Robinson escaped death quite a few times. That it's a miracle that he is alive. He and his wife are still living and, and flourishing and, 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 and really an amazing person. You can find his information video interview of him uh, on YouTube. It's quite, quite remarkable. But Robbie Robinson is alive, escaping death over and over, something that some of his buddies didn't escape. Uh, some of us could account, recount experiences right now where we could say, I missed death here, and death escaped me there, and I almost died there. Maybe because of some car wreck or because of some uh, sudden some motorcycle wreck or some disease that we escaped and that we're surviving and still living right now. But I, look here, I'm, I'm not trying to bring doomsday and trouble in your heart and mind. I am trying to get everybody ready for the reality that someday you're going to die. Are you ready for that? I want to ask you that as a Christian. Those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and have been born again. Are you ready? If Jesus Christ were to call you today, are you ready? Look again at the text. It says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. Are you ready to stand before the Lord and meet him? Are you ready to see him? In, in other words, when I ask that, Christian, I mean this. Is your heart right with God? Now, there are days in my life when my heart is right with God and I'm close to the Lord and I'm walking with the Lord. And there are some days when I may not be. And I may not be as walking as close to the Lord as I want. Or I may just be walking away from the Lord. And those moments, I am not ready to stand before Him. I'm going to make it into heaven, I know, because I've been born again. And I'll touch on that in a moment. I'm I'm going to walk on streets of gold because I've accepted God's gift of eternal life. But my heart is not right. And what shame it would be if I would stand before the Lord, stand before Him, and not be right with the Lord. What a shame if it would be, it would be if he called me home at my selfish moment. What a shame it would be if he took me home when I was living for me and for the moment instead of for him and for eternity. What a shame that would be. What a shame it would be if he called me home and I had been missing church for three months just because I had more important things to do. What a tragedy it would be if he called me home and I had gone months without ever trying to witness or give a gospel track or tell someone about Jesus or try to try to encourage someone to consider eternity. What a tragedy it would be if he had called me home and I died and I had gone weeks without reading my Bible personally or gathering my family around the word of God and discussing the things of God and the things of eternity. What a tragedy it would be if he called me home and I wasn't right with my wife. And what a tragedy I would leave behind. You see, you might leave all kinds of success and you might leave houses and lands for your family and you might leave a full bank account when you die. But if you don't leave a godly legacy, you have left nothing for your family. Nothing for those left behind. Oh, what a tragedy it would be if as a Christian, Jesus Christ would call me home and I would be not right with God. I would be carnal the flesh, living in the power of the flesh instead of living in the power of the spirit. What a tragedy it would be if he called me home and I was grumpy and miserable and bitter and hateful and mean towards those around me just because of some ought that I had against someone or ought someone had against me. What a tragedy that would be. And if he called me home like that, I would not be ready to stand before him. You know why? Because it, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. 
And after I die, somewhere after I die, doesn't say immediately, but after I die, there's going to be the judgment. The Bible speaks of five judgments that will take place. There will be the judgment of the saints, the believers, that will be found immediately after the rapture. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14. There will be the judgment uh, of the angels. The Bible speaks of it in the book of Jude. The angels that rebelled with Lucifer and the angels that that left their first estate and and, uh, rebelled in Genesis chapter 6. There's going to be a judgment of the angels. There's going to be a judgment of the nations. It will be according to Matthew chapter 13. And it will be a judgment of the the nations. It will be based upon what they did with Jesus Christ and what they did with the word of God. There will be the judgment of Israel according to Matthew chapter 24. And that judgment of Israel will again be based upon what they did with the word of God. The oracles of God committed to their trust. And with the Messiah that came. And then there will be the great white throne judgment that will be for those that have never trusted Jesus. Christ is their Savior. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. It is appointed unto man once to die, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Number one, I want to call to your attention the re- real certainty. This, this is the certainty of death. Are you, are you ready for this? I'm asking now those that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is, there has never been a point in time when you have made your choice to believe on Jesus Christ and Him alone. Have you, are you thinking about that? Now, let me ask you this. Are, are you going to die? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Do you know when you're going to die? No, you don't. That's just like this tape measure. It could click back a whole lot sooner than you expected. Uh, it could click back in your teens. It could click back in your 20s. Some of you are in your 20s. God could call you home. It could happen in your 30s or your 40s. Uh, God forbid. I, I hope you live a long and fruitful life and can enjoy your children and your grandchildren. But it doesn't always work that way. And the graveyard is a testimony to that fact. But are you ready to die? Now, you don't know, how you're, you don't know when you're going to die. Do you know how you're going to die? Nobody knows that. Now, I have preferences on the way I'd like to not die. <laughs> I'd like to not die hit, getting hit head on with a, a Mack truck uh, while I'm riding my bike. I'd like to not die that way. I'd, li- I'd like to not die bungee jumping off a 100-foot bridge with a 101-foot cord. I'd like to not die that way. I have some preferences on how I'd like to not die. But watch me. I don't know how I'm going to die. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part to try to, to, to avoid all that, driving safely the speed limit, 25 miles an hour through Whitehall, Montana. I'm, I'm doing my part, not only to not die, but to uh, cause others not to die. <laughs> I, I'm, no, no, my, my family might beg to differ, at least when I'm out of Whitehall. But anyway, I, I, there are some times when I'm trying to do my part to, to not die, but I don't know how I'm, I'm going to die. I don't know when I'm going to die, neither do you, but you know that you're going to die. Well, if you know that you're going to die, and you know that after you die, there's going to be a judgment, wouldn't it be the better part of prudence to prepare for that judgment? That judgment is that judgment. Who's going to be judging me? The Supreme Court, the nine justices of the Supreme Court? Thankfully not. Uh, Is it going to be a king or a queen or a prince or a prime minister? No. Will it be a, 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 some, some, some kind of tribunal that I don't know anything about? No, it will be Jesus Christ. 
He said, what will be the basis of my judgment? If you have not trusted Jesus Christ, it will be the word of God. Because in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 11, the Bible says that I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. He said, preacher, what are those books that are the basis of my judgment? The book number one is the Bible, because Romans chapter 2 says, we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Book number two is going to be an autobiography that I've written with my life by my words and my thoughts and my deeds. They, they will be recorded, each and every one. You say, preacher, wait a time. Whoa, 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 whoa. You say, my life your thoughts, your deeds are being recorded. And what's done in secret, the Bible says in Matthew, will be shouted from the housetop. He says, preacher, there's some things I've done in secret. I don't want anybody ever to know. The only way you can avoid that is to come to Jesus Christ and let him wash your sin in the precious blood that he shed on Calvary. That's the only way you can avoid that. Otherwise, if you've not been born again, it's going to be shouted from the housetop. And who you are will be revealed to all the world. You say, preacher, what's the third book? The book of life. And the Bible teaches that the book of life is a book that has the name of every person living and some who are dead. You say, preacher, how so? All right. Every person living has their name in the book of life until they die, not trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they die, not having trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, their name is blotted out erased, expunged from the record. If they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, before, their di- before they die, their name is sealed in the book of life, never to be erased. And only those whose names are in the book of life will get into heaven. Is your name in the book of life? Is it sealed there? If you die not trusting Jesus Christ, you say, preacher, I'll do it tomorrow. That's a, fool's, that's a fool's game. I'll do it someday. That's a fool's game. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how you're going to die. But you know that you're going to die. And death could come upon you today. Only a fool would say, I'll do it later. You better make preparation and get it settled now. And if you die not having made that preparation by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, by acknowledging that you're a sinner, by acknowledging that you deserve judgment in a place called hell, and by calling upon Jesus Christ to save you, that is what will save you. When you do that, your name is sealed forever in the book of life. There are many in this room right now that can sin and testify. When I was 7, when I was 18, when I was 23, when I was 40-something, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. There is a moment in time. It's not something you grow into. It doesn't happen when you join a church or you get sprinkled or christened or confirmed or baptized. It happens when you trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation. In other words, you call upon Him and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a lost sinner. I'm headed to hell and I need you to save Save me, please save me. It doesn't happen by praying every day. It doesn't happen by being good. It doesn't happen by trying hard and by doing good deeds. It's not by works of righteousness. It's by calling upon the name of the Lord. And the moment you call upon him, he seals your name in the book of life. And if you've done that, you can rest assured and say, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Number one, there's a real certainty. Number two, I want you to notice a redeeming comparison. A redeeming comparison. Look at our text. Now, verse number 27 is often misquoted. This is how it's quoted. And it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. But that's not what it says. 
Look at what it says. A little two-letter word can make a big difference. And as is, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. As is it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. In other words, there is a little two-letter word in the early part of the verse, and there's a contrasting conjunction in the middle of the verse. Watch verse 28. So. As and so make a big difference in the meaning of this passage. It doesn't just say it is appointed unto men once to die. It says as it is appointed unto men once to die. So number two, I want you to not only notice a real certainty, but number two, I want you to notice a redeeming comparison. Look at verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So Jesus is being brought into this situation. By the way, Jesus needs to be brought into every situation. And when Jesus is brought into this situation of death, okay, wow, then that that brings a whole new light on things. I'm going to die. I'm going to step into eternity someday. But it doesn't just talk about my death in verse number 27. It says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So he's bringing Christ into the situation. So Christ died. Yes, Christ was once offered. And, and the word once is mentioned again and again in this passage. Look at, look at it. Look back, if you will, and, and see how, how the Bible refers to this passage. Verse 26. He says, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I want you to see this word not just here, but I want you to see it th- throughout the book. In, in verse number 7, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year and for the errors of the people. Uh, Hebrews 7 and verse 27 says, Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once when he offered up himself, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9 and verse number 27, as it is appointed unto man once to die. Hey, by the way, there's not such a thing. Hear me. As reincarnation where you die and then come back as a better life form and die and come back as a better life form. And there are people, millions, that believe that. that that's a lie. That they can believe it all they want to, but that's a lie. If you believe it, you're believing a lie. Uh, you don't come back as a better life form or as a worse life form based on what you did in a previous life. You die once and then you meet God. Uh, Hebrews 9 and verse number, or Hebrews 10, and, and, and the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ once for all was offered. And, and over again, Jesus Christ is offered once, once, once. Now watch. Okay, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ, so Christ, according to our text, was once offered to bear the sins of many. In fact, the Bible speaks in the book of Hebrews about the repulsiveness of trying to, to crucify Jesus Christ afresh. No, no. He died once. That's sufficient. His sacrifice was enough. Jesus Christ doesn't have to die again and again. That's why the, uh, the, the communication or the, the, the understanding uh, that some people have of, of the Lord's table and Jesus Christ dies every time you take the bread or the wine. That's, that's repulsive to the word of God because Christ only had to die one time. And his death was enough. His death was enough. So let's go back to our text and see this. He says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. 
So there's a redemptive quality here. There is a redemptive quality. He, he says, first, there is a real certainty. He says, second, that there is a redemptive comparison or a redeeming comparison. What is the difference between Jesus Christ dying and the guy that died last week in Bozeman? It's a good question. I was preaching over in Bozeman a few years ago, and I had to go to town. I was preaching south of Bozeman, south of Belgrade in a camp, Castle Rock Baptist Camp. And, and uh, you know, when, when you're at camp, sometimes you just feel stuck. Now, I, I know it's good for the kids to get away from their phones and away from everything, but when you're an adult, you just need a coffee run every once in a while. So I don't know, I was going on a coffee run or something just to maintain my sanity. And uh, I got in the van, I was borrowing some friend of mine, Rick and Melanie Mustens, they had a van, and they've got like 23 kids, and so they got 52 car seats, and so I was moving all the car seats and getting all the stuff that's in a car seat, so there's just a veritable science experiment. But anyway, I was moving all, and I got to the end of the driveway at the camp there, and there were two Two boys that were hiking. They were just coming out of the mountain. I'm assuming they were coming uh, down out of Storm Castle. And uh, they, were, they were walking. And they looked like they were pretty taxed. And I said to them, I said, hey, you want to ride? And they, and they said, yeah, yeah. So they got in. I had to move some car seats. I just said, cram in wherever you can, you know. And, and I was only giving them a ride down that gravel road right next to the Gallatin Gateway River and past the, uh, the air uh, air, air term, the air spot where the helicopter lands. And, and then they were, they were at another camp. So I didn't know exactly how long I had them, but I was going to witness to them. And I said, well, tell me. I said, where are you guys from? One was from Virginia Beach, and one was from some other place out east. I said, let me ask you guys a question. I said, what do you know about Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, he, he died a long time ago. I said, yeah. I said, do you know anything else? They told me a couple other things. I said, let me ask you. I said, what was the difference between Jesus Christ's death and, say, uh, Martin Luther King, Jr.? Or Mahatma Gandhi. Or the guy that died in your hometown of suicide. What was the difference? So Jesus died. So what? What what difference is there between Jesus Christ's death and your death someday? They said, well, I said, I don't know. I said, well, let me give you just a few things. I said, first of all, it was a purposeful death because Jesus was born to die. I said, no one here is born to die. Hey, let's have a baby so it can die. That's not the way it works. We have a baby so that we can procreate, so that we can enjoy life, so that we can have children and grandchildren, so that we can continue on the human race. I said, but we don't have a baby. to Hey, let's have a baby so that baby can die. Jesus was born to die. And when the angel told Mary that the Christ child would be born through her, she realized that someday it would pierce, it would pierce his, her heart through with many sorrows and that someday he would die. It was a purposeful death. I said, number two, I said, Jesus tasted death for every man. I said, watch me. I said, guys, he tasted death for you. That means he tasted death so that you didn't have to die. I said, then it says in the book of Hebrews, he accomplished death. So watch, he was purposely, it was a purposeful death. He was born to die. He tasted death for every man. He accomplished death. When was the last time you read an obituary where it said, they accomplished death? You just don't read that. Because it's not so. It it says, they finally died. It says, death, they succumbed to death. It says, they tragically died. But it doesn't say, they accomplished death. But it says that about Jesus. Did you know that when he died on the cross... He abolished death. 
That, that means he abolished death. He, he, he won the victory over death. And then it says he conquered death. So he was born to die. He tasted death for every man. He accomplished death. That means he fulfilled his mission. There were many times people tried to kill Jesus before he died. The Pharisees picked up stones to stone him and they were going to kill him. And he walked right through them. There were times when the Israelites took up stones to stone him because he claimed to be God. And they knew that was blasphemy. So either he was a false teacher or he was God. And and, and yet he walked right through them and and he'd say something like this. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then in John, just before he died, he said, should I pray that I would avoid this? No, for hitherto came I forth. This is why I came. I came to die. And he yielded to the will of the father and he went to the cross and he conquered death. He was born to die. He tasted death for every man. He Death, he abolished death, and then he conquered death. You said, Preacher, why? Because three days later he rose from the grave. So, just in case you're wondering what the difference is between your death and Christ's death, it's that. And you know, those boys both bowed their head and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior before I dropped them off. Wow, praise God. Why? Because they learned the difference between Jesus Christ's death and the death of every other person that dies. But he's comparing it now, just as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Christ died in your place. You're going to die, but Christ already died. As it is appointed unto man that you would die, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And he died in your place so that you wouldn't have to spend an eternity in hell and suffer the consequences of eternal judgment. Wow. So that's why you should put your faith in him. That's why those of you listening on live stream right now should put your faith in him. You should stop what you're doing. Put down your coffee. Get down on your knees next to your sofa and cry out to Jesus Christ to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you should interrupt this service. It's that important and we'd be perfectly okay with it. If you raise your hands and say, Brother Smith, I need to be saved. It's just that important. If you're not saved, you need to come talk to Pastor and me after the service. You need to respond in just a moment when we have an invitation and say, I need Jesus and have someone help me to Jesus so that I don't have to die and go to hell. I can take Christ's death in my stead and get my name sealed in the book of life by believing that he died and rose again. But watch, there's one final point that emerges from this text that's powerful. Look at it. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I want you to notice number three, there is a radical comfort a radical comfort. Now, you wouldn't necessarily put radical and comfort in the same sentence, but I do. You know why? Because that's the kind of, G- that's the kind of, uh, of, of assurance Jesus gives. Jesus gives, watch, not, not just a peace, but a peace that passes all understanding. He doesn't just give us a joy. He gives us a joy unspeakable and full of glory. He doesn't just give us a gift. He gives us an unspeakable gift. Paul, Paul tried to describe the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he, he, he can't even put words to it. And isn't that the way you feel sometimes when you think about salvation and how Jesus has reached down and touched you and reached down into the dregs of your life and your home and your past and saved you and saved you and given you not only good standing and solid ground, but given you a home in heaven and eternal peace that passes all understanding. Oh, this is something no religion could ever give. It's something no religion could ever think of. But Jesus gives it. And look again what he says at the end of verse number 28. He says, and unto them that look for him. Unto them that look for him. That word, look for him, it it, it has this idea. It has the idea of eagerly await. 
Are you eagerly awaiting his return? I texted a preacher friend of mine this morning who's preaching down in Alabama. And, and uh, he, he said, boy, wouldn't it be a great day for Jesus to come? It would be. And that ought to be our expectation. He said, boy, it sure would solve all the mess that's going on in our world. It sure would fix all the problems of Jesus Christ. I'm eagerly awaiting. The Bible says that he's going to give a crown of righteousness. Not only, he says, uh, Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Christian, are you loving his appearing? Are you looking for him? Today could be the day that Jesus comes, appears in the clouds, catches us up to himself, and that blessed hope comes a reality. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. Oh, hey, I, want, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you when I leave. I want to challenge you to think about this when, when Dwight Smith leaves. Maybe it's the only message you'll ever remember. I want you to think about the fact that someday your life's going to end. I want to give you just a few names. Ryan Birchwell. A friend of mine just a few years ago was hunting with his brother and a friend. Hog hunting down in Georgia. He was in his early 20s. And through a tragic hunting accident, he died. Uh, Jenny Dietrich. She was 43 years old. Last year, she found she had cancer. And the treatment that they tried wasn't effective to keep her alive. She had four children. Her husband was a pastor. God called her home. Bruce Townsend, he died just this last week. He was a preacher up in Maine, serving the Lord from North Carolina. In his early 50s, he died. Mike Monty, he just turned, he was just days, days away from turning 50. Mike Monty died. Just last week, my friend, Jason Walker, seven children, was 43 years old, went to bed on Tuesday, woke up in heaven. What am I saying? Someday, your button is going to be pushed. Someday, your life is going to land. What should you do? Live in fear of that day? No. You should make ready for that day and live your life to the fullest for Jesus Christ until the very last breath. Would you bow with me in prayer? Now is our opportunity to respond to the word of God. Now is our opportunity, folks, to respond to what we've just heard. And the Bible says that someday we're going to give an account for what, the way we respond to his word. So I hope that you'll respond with a humble and a tender attitude just now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'd like to ask how many in this room would say, Preacher, I'm saved, but in some area or another of my life, I'm, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm born again, but in some way or another, I would be ashamed if Jesus called me home today. I would be ashamed to think of what legacy I would leave for my family if Jesus called me home today. It may be financial, it may be physical, but it's not much spiritual. 
and I need to get right with the Lord. I'm saved, but I need to get right with the Lord. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody like that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, how we need to make ready. Good. Thank God. Is there anybody else? Question number two. How many of you would say, Brother Dwight, I'm not perfect, but I know, not wish or hope or think, I know that if Jesus came today or if he called me home today, I'd go to be with him. Now, if you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you do know that, would you just slip your hand up high? Say, preacher, I know that I'm going to heaven. I've been born again. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Thank you. You may have put your hands down. I wonder if you're here and you say, Brother Dwight, I, I really don't know that. Why, if, 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 if it were me that went to bed tonight and woke up in eternity, I, I don't know that my name is sealed in the book of life and that I'm saved. But I want to know and I need to know. Would you pray for me? Yes, I will. I'll not embarrass you, but I want to pray for you and with you. Is there anybody here like that? Just slip up your hand right now and say, Preacher, pray for me. I need to be saved. I need to get this matter settled. And I need to get it settled today. Anyone at all, slip up your hand and put it right back down. In a moment, I'll remember you in prayer. All right, let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Several raised their hand just now and said, Preacher, in some way or another, I need to make ready. I want to leave behind a a spiritual legacy of, of righteousness. And I need to get right. So I'm just going to ask Miss Tara if she'd start playing the piano right now. God spoke into your heart. The altar's open. Would you come? You need to get right? Come on. Don't wait for someone else to move or something else to happen. You just respond. If you're in the back or in the middle of the row, you just tap the person next to you. They'll gladly help you and move out of the way. If you need to be saved today, today's the day. Don't wait. Come meet me here. I'll help you to Jesus. I'll come right to you if you want me to. It's just that important. Don't don't be afraid of embarrassment or what others may say or think. If you need to get right with God, you can just sit right down where you're at and pray and talk to the Lord and tell Him Him your need and confess your sin and make ready. Oh, oh, how to make ready. Would you sing that verse if you know it? If you don't, just hum along. Oh, to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love And trust Him in His presence daily Thank you, God, for this reminder from Hebrews, Lord. And uh, I pray, God, that we wouldn't take it lightly. Father, we have no guarantee of another day. And, Lord, I just pray that we would take these things and, God, that we would leave this place changed for what we've heard. Lord, I thank you for sending your Son, Christ, on the cross for us. So we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear eternity. But God, we have hope, and I thank you for that hope. I pray, God, there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Father. They've never made that decision. I pray today that they do that. For those that have accepted Christ, Lord, I pray that we would be stirred. Stirred, Lord, to take this message to those that don't know you. 
Father, we have no guarantee that our friends, our family have another day. And so, God, I ask today that you'd help us to be burdened, Lord, for those that are in our sphere of influence. God, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to continue doing in our hearts. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I heard a preacher say some time ago, and I thought this was very interesting, because oftentimes, as Brother Dwight has done all week long, he's, he's asked that question. Hey, do you, if you know for sure that you're saved, will you raise your hand? And hands go up. And, but it's interesting, because while we do that here on earth, the Bible tells us that's not, that's not how it's going to be in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us that one day at the great white throne judgment, people are going to stand before God and say, oh yeah, yeah, I did this and I did that and this and that. And God's going to look at them. He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And so even though there are people that may be on this earth that raise their hand just because that's what everybody else does, one day when they stand before God, the question is, is God going to raise his hand and say, I know you? Friend, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never actually made that decision, I'd encourage you, don't leave this place today without making that decision. It's the greatest decision you could make in your entire life. To know that you could enter the doors of a church building or at your home, you you could kneel on your knees and, and kneel on your knees on your way to hell and, and, and stand up on your way to heaven. That's That's the greatest change in course that's ever been. And you can get that assurance today. And I hope that you, if for those of us that are Christians today, that, that you would be reminded, as, as Brother Dwight preached today, of that truth. That, listen, our life's a vapor, appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. The other day I was talking with our kids about that, and I told Jace, I said, you know, I said, have you ever, you know, when Daddy, maybe, if he's drinking a Dr. Pepper, because all good, godly men drink Dr. Peppers. And so I said, you know, you take that and you open it up. And I said, whenever you open that Dr. Pepper up, I said, you see those little bubbles that kind of fizz there. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, that's, that's called vapor. It's vapors. I said, see how they're there for just a second. They disappear. That's what the Bible says our lives are like. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. And listen, I hope, as, as Brother Dwight said, man, I, I hope every single person in this room lives as long as Miss Eula. She's not here today, but lives to be 95 years old or, or longer. I mean, that's, that's incredible. But the truth is, is every person, while every one of us think we're going to be 95 years old, every one of us knows somebody that has died in their 40s or their 30s or their 20s or earlier in life. No guarantee. And so may we be burdened to go and to tell others about Christ. Now, I got good news, okay? Some of you, like me, invited people to come to the service today. And maybe you stood in the back like I did, and you looked out the door. And even after the service started, I'm thinking, they just must be running late. And I'm looking out the door saying, oh, they sure got to gotta be here. And even now we're at the end of the message, I'm kind of looking and thinking, maybe they thought it was at 1130, 